Farm Food Facts, where every farmer, every acre, and every voice matter. Welcome to Farm Food Facts for Wednesday, May 27th, 2020. I'm your host, Phil Lunkert. Many of our farmers are in the fields preparing their crops, and let me assure you that they're committed to ensuring that this year's harvest will produce affordable, sustainable, and accessible foods, which is the backbone of our economy. But the reality is that COVID-19 has created much disruption. Today, we're gonna to talk about a very, very serious topic. It's all about biofuels. The top issue for biofuels is that they're often overlooked when it comes time to talk about the food system. Ethanol makes up 10% of the US ag market today and fuel demand is down over 50%. So Doug Bourbon is with us. Doug, Vice President for Corporate Affairs of POET. Uh, Doug, tell me a little bit about POET um, and, and what you guys do and why this is such an important topic. Sure, thanks for having me, Phil. So POET is the world's largest producer of biofuels. We produce about 2 billion gallons of ethanol on an annual basis. We also produce about 10 billion pounds of distiller's grains from our process. Um, we produce about 600 million pounds of corn oil each year that goes into different products that further reduce our need for fossil fuels. That goes into things like asphalt rejuvenation and the biodiesel industry. Um, we've been around for about 33 years now. And um, you're right, it has been a devastating time um, for the biofuels market and agriculture in general. There's no doubt about it. And you're also right that we are often very overlooked. What we like to tell people is, especially in our area of the world here, biofuels are the catalyst for successful agriculture. And successful agriculture is the key to solving so many of the world's most pressing issues like climate change, poverty, hunger, and disease, all those things are critical and only ag is situated to be able to address them in a major, major way. So I guess, Doug, my, my question is, with the importance of biofuels, and I don't think that the average person understands just how important biofuels are, and I'll get to that in a second, why isn't the biofuels voice being heard? Well, Phil, oftentimes we're drowned out by a louder voice, which is our competitor, the oil industry. I mean, let's just face it. Right. If we spend if we spend a dollar uh, on advertising, they spend a hundred. We spend a dollar in lobbying in Washington, DC, they spend a hundred. I mean, literally, biofuels are a cheaper cleaner, better domestic product for the U.S. fuel supply, but we're taking market share from the most powerful political force on the planet, and that's oil, and they're not going to give it up uh, without a fight, and we're seeing that in every corner, whether it be marketing or politics or anything else. It's just, a, it's, a, it's a pretty vicious cycle. What we want to do is we want to make a free market for fuels out there. Let the consumers choose. Right now, we've got a monopolized market that's just being dominated by the oil industry. And you see that in the headlines all over the place. They're asking for all kinds of breaks and giveaways and waivers and things like that. The reality is, if we want to address climate change, if we want to address agriculture, we want to address consumer costs, human health, all these things, 
we are going to have to limit the use of fossil fuels. Transportation is a huge issue. Biofuels offers the solution to cleaner air, better human health, a lower cost fuel, and a higher performance fuel. There's no doubt about it. So, I mean, we can talk all day about the benefits of biofuels, ethanol, agriculture, but to your question, we're just drowned out by a much louder voice with a much deeper pocket. That's that's the actual reality that we're facing here. So I think one of the opportunities is really to explain to everybody from consumers to the White House and, and so on, the role in agriculture. For example, when I talk about biofuels to people and I say, do you know um, that as a result of, of ethanol, we get CO2, get carbonation for beer, for, you know, sodas, for, for all kinds of food products and people's eyes open up and they just don't understand that. They've never heard that before. And now if we look at Anheuser-Busch and, and all the big brewing companies, they have a serious issue because you're not up to capacity. Yeah, well, that's absolutely true. I think POET itself provides about 5% of the U.S. food grade CO2 supply in this country. That's a lot of CO2. Yep. The biofuels industry, I believe, produces somewhere near 40% of food grade CO2. So you're right. Whether it be the bubbles in your Diet Coke or your Budweiser or the dry ice that goes to meat packing plants or the CO2 that's used in water treatment plants, um, that's a critical aspect that nobody's even talking about. The other thing that people don't realize, and this is just the most basic for a lot of your listeners that, that will understand this, but when we make ethanol, we only consume the starch of the corn kernel, right? All of the protein, all of the fiber, all the oil gets used into other markets and products. Like I said at the beginning, we sell, just our company sells what, 10 billion pounds of protein to livestock, to um the poultry industry, the fish industry, all around the world. And if it wasn't for ethanol creating that market for grain today, you wouldn't have all that protein going out there. You would have $2 corn today, which is still a fear of ours through this whole COVID issue right now. But $2 corn is not good for the United States. It's not good for the farmer. It's not good for the consumer. And $2 corn would absolutely ruin global agriculture. I mean, the ripple effects of biofuels right now need to be much better understood. We talk about some of the highline things, but just think of the amount of corn that would go back on the farmer if we didn't have, if we weren't providing that market. The U.S. ethanol industry today is going to buy 35 to 40 percent of the U.S. corn crop. Travel is down 50%. Half of our industry is shut down. That means we're putting all that corn right back on the American farmer. That's depressing prices. When we have 2 to $3 corn or corn under the cost of production, we subsidize those farmers. Those farmers send cheap grain around the world, and we ruin global agriculture. I think for generations, we've been programmed to believe that cheap corn means abundant food or abundant grain and everybody eats. If the American farmer can't make a profit in agriculture, how can the rest of the world afford to farm? We need to create markets that balance the commodities system, okay? Biofuels 
are the only market that can grow fast enough to keep up with the ever-increasing yields of grain today. Population isn't growing that fast. Exports aren't growing that fast. The only thing that can keep up is really more biofuels. And we want to balance that commodity system in agriculture so subsidies aren't necessary. There's a profit in agriculture, and the rest of the world will benefit from a margin in agriculture. It's, it, it, I mean, it's, it's something that people really aren't thinking of, but they really need to. Why do you think the United States produces 175 bushels per acre when, you know, the, the rest of the world is probably averaging somewhere around 100 bushels per acre? It's not because our land is so much better. It's because for generations, we have stifled global agriculture because we send cheap subsidized grain around the world. So this thought that cheap grain means everybody eats is 180% the wrong direction. We need a margin in agriculture so that, so that agriculture can be produced sustainably and economically around the world. Obvious, obviously, you're talking to farmers all the time. What are you hearing from those, those corn growers right now? What are, what are they saying to you besides the, the harsh reality of the economics that you've just laid out very clearly? Um, what does their future look like? Are they concerned about the future? I think farmers are saying today what they have said for a long time. Look, we will cash a check, but we'd rather have a market. Wouldn't everybody? I mean, cash a check is a short-term Band-Aid for a really major injury. You've got to have a long-term solution for agriculture in this country, in this world, and you don't do that by subsidizing folks. You do that by providing markets that can create long-term benefit for agriculture. And you know, back to my original statement, biofuels are the catalyst for successful agriculture. Successful agriculture is the key to solving these major problems. If agriculture isn't profitable, how can we ask our farmers to do more if they're just breaking even? Right. If there's a margin in agriculture, we can incentivize farmers for the latest and greatest precision farming and no-till farming and cover crops and buffer zones and all these types of things. But if there's no margin and we're just writing a check for them to break even, how can we expect to really improve agriculture to address these global problems like climate change, poverty, hunger, and disease? Biofuels balances those commodity markets and makes it easier to get us the solutions that we're looking for through agriculture, rather than just getting us to the next day, potentially. So look into your crystal ball, um, which is always a, a, a tough one especially in today's uh, economic environment. What does it look like in a year from now? Well, we're working on a number of things. We're working on getting higher blends of ethanol into the marketplace so that our industry can grow along with the ever-increasing yields. We don't need more land. We just need markets for the land that's currently in production. Um, if this country moved from 10% of the US fuel supply to 15% of the US fuel supply, that would be a market of almost 2 billion bushels of grain for the American farmer. There is a real solution for American farmers. That doesn't create a shortage for anybody. Mm -hmm. 
creates a market balance for what we're currently producing. That's all. I mean, Phil, right now we are likely to see a more than 3 billion bushel carryout of corn. And that's not healthy for anybody. We haven't seen that. I don't know if we've ever seen that number before, but that means that prices are going to be depressed for a long time. It's going to take a long time to make it through all that extra corn out there. And the same thing goes for soybeans and wheat and everything else. Global surpluses are going to be way up, which means that prices are going to be way down. Just to give you an example of an example of how the biofuels industry has really helped American agriculture over the last several years. Our industry really started growing in the early 2000s. We went from about 1% of the fuel supply to 10% of the fuel supply from 2000 to 2012. In that time, farm incomes went up dramatically. Since we've plateaued at that time, since the year 2013 to today, farm incomes are down more than 50% across the country. 50% decline because our industry isn't keeping up with the ever-increasing yields. And when you have yields going up, and you have demand being stagnant, you've got prices going down, and that's that gets to our whole problem, not only around the ethanol plants that are shut down, but our nation and the world as a whole. I mean, the, the ripple effect is monumental. So, Doug, let's talk a little bit about the role of biofuels, COVID-19, and human health. Yeah, thank you, Phil. So there are, there's a real serious growing body of evidence right now that COVID is being spread by particulate matter throughout the atmosphere. And it is affecting um, lower income neighborhoods in particular because they're the ones right around um, the travelways, right? All those cars traveling down the interstate cause a considerable amount of pollution Part of that pollution is what we call particulate matter, PM2.5. Harvard just came out with a study. A number of different groups are coming out with studies saying COVID is carried by that particulate matter. And it's, it's a social justice issue that doesn't have to be. Ethanol reduces particulate matter in gasoline exhaust. We burn completely, whereas the competitive molecules to ours, they don't. They get out into the out into the airstream, we breathe them deep into our lungs, causes major, major health problems. COVID is exasperating this information. It didn't start it. We've known about particulate matter. We've known about human health concerns from, from vehicle exhaust for a long time. The internal combustion engine is going to be around for a long time, regardless of what people want to think. It's, it's here now. It's here to stay for a long time. We need a better liquid fuel. Ethanol is that better liquid fuel. Not only are we better for our environment, uh, all those things that we've talked about, helping agriculture cha um, challenge climate change and those types of things, we're directly better for human health. We will reduce disease in this country and around the world using more ethanol. There's no doubt about it. So there's a direct link to our current epidemic that we're into right now, and just another reason to get more biofuels into the fuel supply. So when we talk about ethanol, you know, we're talking that it should go from 10% to 15 to 30%. Will there ever be a day 
where we do 100% ethanol? I certainly hope so. You know, Henry Ford, when he, divided, when he developed Model T back in the early 1900s, 1908, I might be off on my date. He built that Model T to run on ethanol or gasoline. And he had a little knob on the front dash where you could actually change the air intake to optimize your vehicle on it, right? And until the 20s and 30s when we had prohibition and taxes and prohibition eliminated the ethanol industry, bought John D. Rockefeller a monopoly on the fuel market in this country, um, we were running, cars were running on 100% ethanol. There's no way there, there's no reason you can't do it today. Um, the Indy Racing League runs on 85% ethanol today. Uh, NASCAR runs on 15% ethanol. All these other performance leagues are using 50% to 100% ethanol because they get so much better performance out of it. And they're not breathing in these nasty fumes. Healthier people are using biofuels. So for from a performance and a health standpoint, all the performance leagues are going there. Um, so there isn't any reason we can't go to a full ethanol blend, but we've got to tackle a couple of things. Uh, number one is the resistance that we get from the competitive group that's that's going to lose all of their market share before we get there. So yes, we can, but let's take it step by step. We'll go from 10 to 15 to 30% and we'll prove to the American consumer that ethanol is a superior product um, economically, human health, climate change, agriculture. We'll prove all those things. All we ask for is a free market. and We'll go get it done. So, Doug, we talked about some of the uses um, of, of ethanol for, you know, food packaging, for beer, for soda. What are some other things that ethanol can do for us? Well, I like to say that we can make anything out of a bushel of corn that the oil industry can make out of a barrel of oil. It's just a matter of chemistry and economics. Give me, give me an example that, that's pertinent today during COVID-19. Absolutely. Uh, right now, uh, Poet has changed some of its manufacturing to do hand sanitizer. Hand sanitizer was... Um, it was soaked up off the shelves. There wasn't yep. anything to do. The World Health Organization, FDA, a number of other groups um, asked for um, more hand sanitizer because it's so critical to stop the, the, the spread mm -hmm. of disease. Poet banded together. We had engineers, lawyers, uh, business folks working literally around the clock to make hand sanitizer um, that was pharmaceutical grade, that was approved by the FDA, proved by World Health. Um, the toxicology was proven by a hospital system here in Sioux Falls as to be perfectly safe for human health. So now we've got a renewable alcohol that's perfectly safe and available uh, to the general public because we have, we have transformed three of our plants to be able to make hand sanitizer to help stop the spread of this disease. And it's... Um, you know, we started by giving a lot of that product away to the city of Sioux Falls, the state of South Dakota for first responders. And now we're offering it at retail stores here in Sioux Falls. And we're also offering it online at sanitizerbypoet.com. Um, so that product will be out there. It's, you know, 
Pharmaceutical grade ethanol hand sanitizers will be a new market for us. There's no doubt about it. Uh, we're excited about that. But it started as the right thing to do, Phil. I mean, we have we are we are in an opportunity where we can provide something to help stop the spread of this disease, and that's why we did it in the first place. But to your question, we have all kinds of opportunities to expand products, not only in hand sanitizer, not only in asphalt rejuvenators, not only in different feed products, but bio-based plastics and other renewables. It's an exciting world out there. And, and we're just, we're very anxious to really get after that. But it's, it's, very, it's very sad that we had to do this from a hand sanitizer standpoint. We're just lucky we're in a position to help. And equally important, now I know where to get my hand sanitizer from. Absolutely. Well, and also, I guess what, what I'm hearing loud and clear is we've got competitors um, overseas selling oil that we're competing with versus helping the U.S. economy and the U.S. farmer with ethanol. So for me, you know, uh, being a layman, this isn't rocket science. I mean, if, if it helps everybody um, and, and it makes us less dependent on foreign oil, why aren't we upping it to 15% or 20% if in exactly. fact the production can handle it? Yeah, well, that goes back to the old piece that we were talking about before. It's political. I, I wish we could introduce some common sense to these areas. The fact of the matter is, we are taking market share from a very political force that doesn't want it to go away. And, you know, through this whole COVID thing, I think it's, there have been some things revealed. Number one, we have too much dependent on OPEC yet. We might have a lot of oil in this country, but we can't compete on price with OPEC. OPEC countries can produce oil for less than $10 a barrel. The average cost of production in the United States is about $36 a barrel. Okay, so if OPEC wants to hurt our oil production, our energy system, our economy, they can just run the price down like they have mm -hmm. and put people out of business in the oil industry. We have a domestic product in ethanol that competes economically against oil. We have a better value proposition in the gasoline pool than the competitive molecules to ethanol in the gasoline pool. And I don't want to get too in the weeds here yet, but we replace ethanol as an octane component, okay? Ethanol sells for typically almost a dollar less per gallon than the competitive molecules from oil that make up octane in the fuel supply. So not only are we domestic and we can help our egg situation, we reduce the price of fuel at the pump for the consumers, reduce our dependence on foreign oil, and by the way, we reduce our dependence on China buying our egg products, which that's a topic of concern today as well, right? Mm -hmm. So biofuels, agriculture are really the only thing that are going to reduce our dependence on not only OPEC and foreign oil, but our reliance on China to buy our products as well. We can do it right here at home. We can balance our markets and make these foreign countries, um, I would say, less critical to our economy, our environment, all kinds of things, certainly our agriculture. So yeah, um, the product is there, the yields are there, 
the potential for agriculture in this country and around the world, Phil, are frankly untapped. I mean, we know that agriculture can do unbelievably unbelievable things. We used to get all of our food, energy, and everything else that ag can provide from above the surface of the land. We did that 200 years ago. Right. And we will do that 200 years from now. And hopefully we'll do that 10 years from now or 20 years from now. We need to reduce our dependence on fossil fuels dramatically. And agriculture is the only thing that's going to provide that solution. If we've got a climate problem in this country, it's for two reasons. We've been taking oil and coal out of the ground and putting it in the atmosphere. That's it. Agriculture comes from the surface of the land. We rejuvenate CO2, we recycle, we put energy and we put the world back in its natural balance. That's, that's why I'm saying biofuels are the catalyst to successful ag and successful ag is the key to solving all these global issues. So the plants are running at 50% capacity. Couldn't you just run at a higher capacity and, and store the ethanol? The tanks are full, though. I mean, the oil is full. You saw oil go below zero in cost for right. a day. That's because nobody's got a rail car to put any, any fuel in anymore. They're all full. And so our problem is, if there isn't anywhere to go with it, we don't have an option but to shut down, slow down. Um, luckily, now we're seeing some uh, increases in, in travel and the market is coming back a little bit, certainly not where we want it to be, uh, but we'll get back to normal. And I hope we can take some of the lessons that we've been learning over the last two months, three months, and apply that so that we don't have to deal with a number of these situations again. We need to reduce our dependence on foreign countries for either our egg purchases or our oil production. And I'm just here to tell you, we can reduce dramatically the amount of fossil fuels we, we use in our fuel system today. And 15%, Phil, just, I'm just need to throw this out. 15% is an end point. That's our starting point. We can do 15, 20, 30%. We can do that. We have to do that. We will do that. It's a matter of timing but we have to get over this E10 hurdle first. We've got to break that E10 barrier. And then I think the markets will open up and we'll see consumer demand really starting to take place. But right now we've been in this 10% fuel supply thing for the last, what, seven, eight years now. We've got to get over that hump and just prove that our product is superior to gasoline. It's domestic, it's cleaner, better for human health. We can go on and on, but I'm really excited about our future as long as the American public understands realities and doesn't fall into the myths and the traps, food versus fuel or whatever those things are. Um, you know, if, if you hear something negative about biofuels, you can ask the question, where did that information come from? Because it's not coming from us and it's not coming from reality, it's being put out there because that's what they want you to think. Well, Doug, um, first of all, thank you for a very, very clear 
um, understanding of, of biofuels. And, you know, we've got to get this message out there. As you've said repeatedly, it's important for farmers. It's important for agriculture. It's important for our nation um, and, our, and our security and our safety. And it's important for people, people who are on the planet. So Doug, thanks so much for joining us today on Farm Food Facts. Sure. Thank you, Phil. Thanks for listening to today's podcast episode. For more information on all things food and agriculture, please visit us at usfarmersandranchers.org. Also, be sure to look for us on Facebook at USFarmersAndRanchers or on Twitter at USFRA. Until next time.